It's a competitive world out there in travel right now. It always has been, but especially right now. Realize that if there is a position that you are looking for, you are interested in, there's a strong likelihood that a bunch of other people with your exact same specialty are interested in that too. Which means you've got to become really marketable. You have to beat your competition, which is in case your fellow traveler, to the job that you really want. So today, we're going to talk about traveler marketability. It's an important aspect of becoming a successful traveler, one that unfortunately is like no other than any other position that you'd be interviewing for in the real world as opposed to the travel world. And we're going to talk about it a lot today on today's edition of Travel Evolved. This is Travel Evolved. I'm Mark Holloway, your host. Welcome to today's episode. This is a good one today. And again, as you guys know from now, or by now, I definitely plan these episodes out. And this was one I wanted to get out there pretty quickly, really early on in this, in this series, because this is an important one. I mean, again, I've been in this industry for almost 22 years now, and I have seen a ton of changes. One of them is, a lot of people are figuring out travel's very lucrative, or it can be. So it's really interesting to me that oftentimes we don't talk an awful lot about how to become marketable for that job or for that specific, uh, I guess for your specialty. You are competing literally with everybody else every time you, you get submitted to a position. And nobody wants to talk about that. Matter of fact, I'll talk about here a little bit. A lot of recruiters are submitting you and two or three other, there are, there are other candidates that I know, I know, you guys think you're the only one they're working with, but that's not true, not even close. They don't care. They want to book the assignment. They want to book you, but they want to book whoever they can. That's just the simple facts and the reality. You guys know how I feel about recruiting this day and age, and that's a big part of it is that you're just a number to them. So you're just a number to facility too, whether you guys like it or not. The fact is you've got to somehow separate yourself from everybody else, which can be difficult if in fact you don't have a lot of experience, maybe your licensure is limited, maybe you don't have a certification. So I wanna jump into this today because I think it's a really, really important topic. And one that I've been told before, I've done things like this, can be really helpful for those of you that are just kind of starting out, or maybe you're not you know, seeing that you're getting the positions that you really, really want. So we're gonna kinda, of, like I say, talk about it a lot here today. Um, I wanna thank you guys for, again, subscribing. It's been a really great beginning to this series. A lot of people are subscribing to our, our YouTube channel, which is really cool. And uh, sorry, it's really hot. I'm in Southern California and I've closed things up, but I've got here an airline or a helicopter go by. Got to keep window open because these lights are hot and it's, uh, it's just one of those things. So I apologize for, for my appearance and the fact that it's 
really hot here, but um, and probably noisy. But I gotta have at least one window correct. So the the fact is is that people are starting to realize how lucrative travel is. If you guys haven't already, I mean, again, you guys have, but more and more of your fellow healthcare providers are jumping into the travel game. So you know, it's it's uh, and I kind of lost track. I was actually thanking you guys for for subscribing to our YouTube channel, that sort of thing, and I'll get back to that here right now. It is, um, it's pretty overwhelming and uh, very humbling, like I've always said, that that many folks are starting to, you know, pay attention to the kind of things that we're saying on this, this series. Uh, it, it gives us a lot of drive, a lot of push. As you guys know, this is a side thing for me. Uh, I don't do any sponsorships. I'm not, you know, there's nothing that, uh, you know, there's no, there's no uh, kickback to me, so to speak. I'm doing this. I am doing this specifically to educate the travel community. So you guys stay in it longer, so you enjoy it more, so that you aren't, you know, learning the hard way in the school of hard knocks on how to become an evolved traveler. That's the whole point behind this. And if you'll notice, we don't talk about an agency, we don't talk about anything that we're doing. It's just here's the information, take it, make it yours, take what you like, leave what you don't, verify it with your fellow travelers, see if we're right or wrong, start the discussion in some cases, some episodes. And let's have a good conversation, an honest conversation about the status and the, the, I guess, where we are with travel healthcare right now. So, all right, back off my side tangent. I'm all over the place today. So, at any rate, we are seeing and have seen for the last, I guess, year certainly a surge in healthcare travelers. It's starting to come back down again. What I've noticed is that when the, you know, when COVID was a big deal a year, you know, a year and a half ago. A bunch of people jumped in because they thought, Ooh, whoa, this is going to be super lucrative. I can make a ton of money and get in, get out. And a lot of travelers did. And many of you experienced, I guess, some travelers coming in that may have had more experience, more, uh, you know, maybe not within travel, but they've been doing it longer. They may have more certifications. Some of the best people in healthcare said, well, heck, I want to go out and make some money. Why am I the only one that's not taking advantage of this? So. It got really competitive for a while there. It also had such a high need that you know there were some situations where it was an alley-alley income free. Everybody was getting the job, right? So things are starting to kind of shift, I think, back to, I guess, a, a solid reality. It is a unique time in healthcare travel, but we need to start having these discussions and start talking about how it is that you guys can get the positions that you're looking for, have a great game plan, and again, make yourself as marketable as possible so that you guys can, you know, again, have a great career and hopefully, more often than not, get the assignment of your choice. So there's my little kind of preamble for what we're going to do. The bottom line of this episode is I want, you guys know how this thing works, right? You, you, the, a facility puts a position out there. We need you know, this you know, particular traveler and healthcare, and here's what we're willing to pay for it. And so all of us agencies jump through hoops to get as many people as we can in front of that job. And that's just a fact. There is no recruiter out there that says, oh, I'm only gonna put one person in front of this job. They may only have one for that job, but trust me, if they have an opportunity to get two or three people, especially someone who's even more qualified than you, they're going to do it. And they're not gonna tell you that they've done it. You may have two or three years of experience with barely in certifications. They're gonna promise you the moon and the stars and they're going to go ahead and if a 10-year traveler with the same, you know, with much more experience with the same interest comes in, they're going to put them right in front of you and not bat an eye. That's just the fact. So, again, this is the hidden stuff that no one wants to openly talk about, but it's the truth. And if a recruiter tells you they don't do that, my question is, why wouldn't they? They're in here to make money and they're here to make commission. So, 
know the tough reality of some of the things I'm going to say in this episode is that nobody is going to help you get the job but you. Yeah, your recruiter, if you're the only thing that they have, they're going to do the best they can to market you for that position. They're going to talk you up a little bit when they submit you. They're going to, they may help you with you know, what the facility is going to see or a submission packet or a profile packet, whatever that agency calls it. But at the end of that, you know, when that's done, there's not much else that they can do. So their job is to just get as many people in front of as many jobs as they can, period, all day, every day. So your goal is to be one of the very few people, it may be one, maybe two, maybe three, I don't know what most hospitals do, but know that there is a limit to how many people that manager is going to call or is going to look at. So they're going to take the top whatever, we're going to just say three for today's example, and they're going to try to get hold of those three people, and they're going to call them once, and whoever they talk to, if it sounds good, they're going to offer the position. If it doesn't sound good, they're going to use some story about, oh, you've got to go through certain protocols, that's your first heads up that you didn't get the job. When that's done, if they haven't gotten a hold of anybody, they may go further in the stack, but the likelihood is slim, which means I want you guys to hear this. Your goal is to get on the top of that pile no matter how big the pile is and here's what's wild is that you don't know how big the pile is theoretically most recruiters don't really know how big the pile is but they may have some experience as to what historically it's been you and the recruiter both can kind of tell based upon supply and demand in other words how much how hard is it for that facility to get your specialty at that time of year or whatever the circumstances are you kind of have a general idea is it a popular position is it one that nobody wants to go to is it super high paying? Is it a super attractive location? Is it neither one of those? You're going to be able to gauge the potential for your competition just by sheer understanding, you know, that's that town, that facility, and the time of year and everything else, the weather, you name it, how hard it's going to be for that facility to find what they're looking for. If you have a really unique specialty and you're, you're in high uh, demand, there you go. If you have a very uh, generic specialty and you're trying to get the most, the greatest location on the planet, you, you guys go on and hear where I'm going with this. You have the ability to kind of evaluate that position to kind of figure out whether or not you think you have a really good chance or, or maybe you don't. And don't trust the recruiter to tell you because guess what they're all going to say? I'm going to get you this job. Why do you think they tell you that? They want you to stay engaged with them. They want you to not talk to any other recruiter who might have another job half an hour away or maybe something completely different state that pays more or less. Who knows? You guys know you gotta, you got to know the drill. I assume that you guys who listen to me, those of you who are evolving your travel game, starting to figure out how this whole thing works. If you haven't, wake up. That's how the whole thing works, right? So it is, your goal is to be one of those two, three, maybe only person that they're going to call. And it's hard because you don't know how big that stack is. I guess that's the best way to kind of explain it. So... It is a supply and demand situation. We're going to do an episode completely on supply and demand. But the fact is, that has is everything to do with how big that pile is. And I've seen it where I've had a very unique specialty. I'll, I'll, I won't mention one, but let's say a really high demand traveler that barely anybody has the qualifications for in a really small town that's not that attractive. I have literally put travelers in front of that job, and I know, I know they're going to get the job because I know that they're probably the only one or the most qualified person to go in front of that position. And I've seen jobs that have been available for months because they're looking for a needle in the haystack. So you know when you kind of know. And I've also seen travelers who, have, who barely have any experience that want to go in front of a really amazing position. And I, I feel like it should be in our industry where you come out and say, 
hey, you got to have a plan B, plan C, even a plan D. And I guess it depends on how transparent, how honest, how ethical your recruiter is to decide whether or not you have somebody that's going to give you those options because you really need those options. Most recruiters are going to do whatever gets them a booking. So in this instance, a lot of them will tell you the truth because they want you to lower your expectations and go in front of multiple uh, potential assignments so that they have a better chance of booking you and making commission on you. Again, I'm just telling you guys the facts. That's the truth, and that's what's again. Nobody wants to talk about it, but it's the it's the 800 you know pound alley, you know, gorilla in the room, as the saying goes. It's obvious, and no one talks about it because. It, people just don't want you to think about that side of the industry. To me, it's a huge part of what we do. And it's so ironic and so ridiculous to me that nobody talks about it. And all you see online is how my recruiter is my best friend and this agency has the, has my best interest in mind. Come on. I, I, I understand there are some good agencies out there that do, in fact, care about their, their drivers, or at least many parts of, of that machine. Sometimes it goes all the way to the top, that top dog, so to speak, does truly care. I've seen that. So I'm not beating up the whole industry, but as a whole, this industry is full and every company is full of people that do and don't really care about you. And at the end of the day, I know this as human nature, unfortunately, most people care about themselves more than they care about others. That sounds really tough for me to say out loud, but it's the truth. You, you know, you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you always take care of yourself before you take care of others. That's why when you're on an airplane, they always instruct you to put on your own mask before you assist others, because if you can't take care of yourself, how can you possibly take care of others? And that really resonates in our industry. So that's the fact. You have huge competition. You have a recruiter who is literally going to put as many people in front of as many jobs, including the job that they're putting you in front of. You've got the guy or gal sitting next to them in a cubicle who may be putting somebody in front of the same job your recruiter has put in front of. And they're going to talk about it out at the water cooler. Darn it, I really wanted this person to get it. And you just put a better person in front. I've heard those conversations. They exist. They're real. And again, companies are like, I just want to get the booking. I want you to book both of them. So make sure you give that traveler some other additional options. So that's the gist. This, this episode is totally about how do you get on top of the pile. So here's the bottom line. The less marketability you have, in other words, we're talking about things like how many years of experience, your certifications, your license, if, it, if, it, if you have a specialty that or you're, whether you're allied or nursing, you name it, your willingness to go to more locations, that's a big part of it. If you aren't willing to go, that marketability is really small. And that's really common nowadays. We have a traveler that says, I want to travel, but I want to travel 50 miles away from my home. Well. Your marketability is really limited. In my opinion, you're not even really a traveler. You're a local per diem person that wants to make traveler money. And unfortunately, hospitals are, have always become, and a growing number of them have become very wise to that. That's why there's radius rules. That's why they put some things in play to stop paying those high bills, which really includes benefits and housing, whereas per diem travel, if that's the right phrase per diem healthcare doesn't include those two. So the hospital doesn't want to pay for your housing. They don't want to pay for your benefits. They just want to come work to shift and get out of Dodge, so to speak. So they feel like they get you for a per diem rate, which is significantly less, maybe 15, maybe higher, maybe 20 bucks an hour less if they don't have to pay a travel agency. And that's the, the facts. So um, lower experience, getting back to what I was saying, means you're going to fur fall further down in that pile. So let's talk about some of the things specifically. And I guess the main thing here is 
you want to start looking at yourself and your marketability. And while you're listening to this episode and, and, and are watching it, I really want you to think about and have an honest conversation with yourself about how marketable you really are. So let me go into things briefly and really quickly that I'm talking about. I mentioned it. You want to start thinking about how many years of travel experience do you have? The more you have, the more marketable you're going to be. Hospitals and managers like travel experience. So you have to have an honest conversation. If you have less than two years, it's going to be more difficult than someone that has more. If you've been traveling for 10 years, you know that's what managers like because they know that you've been successful at hitting the ground running with a little bit of orientation at a unique facility and you can do that, which means you have proven and a proven track record that you're able to do that. The amount of experience you actually have in your field or your specialty is also going to have a lot of bearing on it as well. You may have traveled your entire career. You may have done a couple years and been traveling for two years with someone that's been maybe a, a, you know in healthcare for 15 years and traveled for eight. They may have more and it's going to be up to a manager whether or not someone that has eight years of experience with no travel is going to I guess supersede your couple of years of travel with less experience. I think every manager is going to be different, but some will still look at total amount of experience in the unit and value that higher than travel experience. I think it's probably individually unique to every manager out there. Obviously, your certifications in your field, the more certified you are, the more opportunities you have, but also you know, a manager, if they're doing their, their job looking at your profile, they're going to look at what you've brought to the table. Have you gone out and gotten extra, you know, American Heart Association certifications if you need those in your field? Have you gone and taken courses? Have you worked on your, you know, your individual certs and taken that extra step to really become super, you know, renowned at what you do and in your field? That means a lot. And it is actually a really great way for some travelers to, uh, I guess, offset your lack of experience. So that's another thing they're going to look at. It's going to be that certifications. For those of you that do have to get licensed that don't have a national like certification, if you have to be, if you're in a specialty like nursing or an RN or an LPN, you have to get a, a the license in every state, that is going to affect your marketability. I'm old enough and been in this industry long enough to know and remember, I should say, that when I first got in this for the first probably 12 years now, maybe 10 years of my of being in here, you didn't have to have a license in a state to get submitted to it because if, if it was a state that was a relatively fast licensure. Even if it took you know two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, you could go and get the job. Well, what happened over time was that there would be a glitch. Maybe you had you know you didn't fill out your application right. Maybe there was a certain you know verification from your current or one of the licenses that you had that wasn't you know was taking too much time. What was happening is that over time and over years, managers would get burned because they would hire you, stop the interviewing process, stop the hiring process, put all their eggs in your basket, and lo and behold. Over time, many, you know, they probably, they surely looked at this. More and more travelers weren't able to get to the assignment. And a lot of it had to do with their inability to be able to secure a license. Literally, you guys know, sometimes you can not fill out a box or a check mark and it makes your application null and void. So having a license that's active in the state in which you're working, you know, or wanting to apply for, for those of you that have to have a license, is a huge marketability question. So understand that. You may have all the experience in the world, and maybe it's even a walkthrough state or a very fast licensure state, but somebody else with less experience that has that license might be higher on that pile in that pecking order than you are. We just don't know, but it's a, it's a marketability thing, obviously. You're also your self-evaluation, or maybe you've, take, you've done some evaluations nowadays. Most, a lot of companies, you have companies that have 
a self skills, you know, self evaluation of, of their skills. A lot of companies have it where you actually, you know, take a take a, a test, so to speak, so you can, you know, if you're really good, you can score well. Those things that kind of are those evaluations of your skill set are a really big, I guess. Uh, qualifier of whether or not you're going to get to the top of that pile. So those are the things we're going to talk about in a little bit more detail here. References is another thing that I also want to mention. We're going to talk a lot about references as we continue on today's episode. And that is going to be that, that in my opinion, is one of the most important aspects of making you marketable. It's one of the few areas that you actually have some control over and it doesn't really matter about everything else. So it's a really great way, much like certifications are, to elevate your marketability. So those are the quick snapshot of all the things that we're going to talk about. So let's let's jump right in. I mean, since we haven't uh, already, let's go into some a little bit more detail. First and foremost, let's talk a little bit about where you want to go. It's not one of the things I mentioned, but in my opinion, one of the most marketable things you can do is be open. Again, that's what I've seen recently. A lot of travelers have stopped their own marketability in its tracks by saying, "I only want to go right here." Understand that most companies are geared, most of us national companies are geared at placing national travelers. And it is heartbreaking for a recruiter when someone is all excited, they're great, they look wonderful on paper, and they say, I only want to go right here around my city. You're now limited to waiting for an opportunity in that specialty that that person has and hope that there's no competition for it. And oftentimes what I've noticed is that bigger cities is where a lot of non-traveler travelers are. And that means that there's a lot of competition. You know, it's not like some rural little town. So it is difficult. So one of the things I will tell you is, based upon your quick overview of your own marketability that you just did along with me when I was mentioning all the things we're talking about, if you score low on a lot of those, the one area you can really focus on is where you want to go. In other words, the less marketable you are, the absolute more options you should give your company it's, or yourself. It, you have to. You can't have low scores on all the things that just breeze through and then only say, I want to go here. You're never going to get a job. Or if you do, it's going to be once and that's it. You guys know this. Those of you who have traveled for a long time, those of you who are trying to travel, you should understand that. You have to, for today's episode, one of the most important things, you have to have a realistic expectation of what's out there, the competition that you're facing. And that's why I wanted to go through those really quickly. I wanted you to kind of listen to what I was saying and say, what, where am I on scoring my marketability my, and my traveler marketability on all those areas that Mark just went over? And if you're middle of the road, okay, you, you probably have to open up to some more options. If you're the top of the pack, every time you're the highest, you have earned that right to be able to really dictate to a company, to a recruiter, where it is you do and don't want to go. And I would suggest that the less you score in all those areas, in other words, the, the, the less chance you have of being the top of the pile, realistically, the more options you need to give yourself, thereby your recruiter or your recruiter, depending on, and hopefully you're working with multiple companies, to get you a position that is of interest to you, that, that you know, fits as many of the variables that you, have, that you want in your next assignment. So, real long explanation of give yourself some options. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. I understand for many of you that are just getting into the travel game, that's what you want to just put your big toe into the water and just test the waters out. Well, you may not ever test the waters out because you're not giving your recruiter an option to really market you and to let you get a job that pays well that's in a good facility. It's just the facts. It doesn't mean you have to change your mind and listen to me and also just like open yourself up, but realize that if you don't, you are limiting heavily 
your marketability, which means you may not get a job. You may have one option with one facility that happens to have that need, and you may not get it because you have 30 people that want the same job. And that's not an exaggeration, by the way, of the number of people that go in front of most normal travel assignments. It's 30 plus. And you know when it pays well or it's a great location, you can increase that number and you can decrease it for the opposite. If it doesn't pay well or if it's not a tough location, or if it isn't a tough location. I think you understand that aspect of it. Be open. I will tell you in 22 years, the more open a traveler is to location, the more options you have, the more options you give yourself, the more chances that pay and location are going to come together into an, I guess, into a place where they both overlap and make sense to you. And that's really when you're searching for something, isn't that kind of what you're looking for? You want a certain location, you want a certain pay, and at some point the two have to intersect which is when you say, okay, I'll take this assignment. If it's a horrible location, there may be a higher pay rate you need. If it's a, you know what I mean? If there's lesser, if it's a more desirable location, that intersection may be down low, but that's probably how your brain is working. Give me all my options and let me kind of decide when that intersection hits. This is the assignment I'm gonna go in front of, this is the assignment I wanna go in front of, and that's, I think, how we, we subconsciously pick our assignments as travelers, who knows? Um, so there you go. So let's talk about and I guess the last thing I'll say before I do that is what I want to get at is it's okay for you guys that don't have a lot of experience to go for it. Just have a backup plan. In other words, absolutely go after the assignment that you don't think you're going to have an opportunity for. Whether it's a super great location that maybe you know is popular because it's the middle of winter and it's got a decent pay rate and that intersection overlaps. Or it's a super high paying assignment and you, there's nothing wrong with going for it. And a recruiter who won't put you in front, that tells you a lot right there. That just means that they don't think you're gonna get it and they'd rather not waste their time, so to speak, with you. And they'd rather put someone else in front of that job and put you in front of a job more appropriate. And that's kind of, unfortunately, another ugly side of the recruiting aspect of our industry. My thought would be, have your recruiter go for, you know, put you in front of those jobs and have them put you in front of some other positions, all of which you would take and then you interview and you see a who calls you, maybe no one else does, maybe you only have one or two options, and that gives you a good, I guess, ability to be able to make a decision on which assignment's best for you. Which kind of brings up a quick little side note, and recently I've had a number of people ask me, do you think recruiters always put you in front of the jobs that they say they're gonna put you in front of? My answer is no, guys, as, as you know. That's, to say that they do would be naive, and I've always said, you're not always gonna like the answer, but I promise you I'll tell you the truth. And I know for sure, for some, in some cases, a recruiter will mislead you. I've seen it where they'll tell you to put in front of a job and the job doesn't exist anymore because they just want to get you involved and you fill out your, all your paperwork. They lie to you. It is in the industry, not all of them. So those of you that are you know, on my side of the desk, don't beat me up. But before you get upset with what I just said, you know, <laughs> those of you on my side of the desk, that that's the truth. That there are there is baiting and switching that goes on. There is all kinds of things that happen to get travelers to get engaged with a recruiter or with a company, which means they may tell you about an assignment or tell you to put your front, and the fact is, until you fill your paperwork out, you don't really know. And I can't sit there, those of you that have asked me to answer that question, I can't tell you whether or not they're going in front, but I do know that it does happen where people actually are not in front of the, you know many jobs. They may you know, be saying they're going in front of five, and the fact is you might be going in front of two or one. You just don't know, and it has to do with a lot of how that company's ran and, and I guess their philosophy and how they do things, but it would be naive to think that you are absolutely going in front of every job that your recruiter says you're going in front of. It just is. It just is the case in our industry. So, 
Okay, let me jump back into licensure real briefly. For those of you that require a license for your specialty, and I'll make this quick for those of you that don't, so keep so bear with me. It is much like choosing your location. If you're fortunate enough to reside in a compact state and you are you, know, you require a licensure, make sure you have a multi-state access. Make sure you've turned that license into multi-state. I understand it can be a little bit, sometimes it's money for some, some states. It's oftentimes more paperwork, but it's really important because you now have, and I'm not gonna say the figure because it changes every month and more and more states are, are moving toward this. But obviously you know that you have the ability to now be, have an active, you know, I shouldn't say active license. You have the ability to use your current home state's license to work in a multiple amount of states, more than half, obviously, which is, and grows every, every year, a ton of places. So to not do that makes no sense to me. If you don't happen to, you know, reside in that state and, you know, you have to start talking to your accountant to see what it is that you need to do to make that state become your home state so that you have the legal ability to again be able to work elsewhere with a compact state license and again i'm not going to go into that too much today because we're going to talk about that in a completely different episode but it's important we'll talk a lot about it when we're talking about um, gsa and and tax advantage and all that kind of fun stuff but do understand you don't want to put your license in jeopardy so make sure that you are following the rules and that if something god forbid should happen that a hospital or a patient or somebody can't come to you and say, you know what, you actually don't have a license in this state because you're not legally compact state licensed. So talk to your peers and we'll cover it again down the road. So pay attention to that episode if, if you haven't, if you're not really sure and convinced that you're working and operating with a good solid uh, backup for that license, make sure you, you get some good information from everybody that makes you feel good that you know you are. If you're not lucky enough to either reside in a state or you just aren't, you know, you don't have, you know, whether you, you can't turn your state into a multi-state licensure, you really do need to start considering going out and getting and spending money getting licensed in states in which you're, you, you want to go to work in. What I said earlier, you can't even be submitted. Any company that's going to tell you, oh, I can submit you, maybe they can submit you, but it's almost a waste of time, even on those walkthrough states. Because again, I know things were different a year and a half ago, but things are moving back to where they were currently, or where they were again now. Which means that if you're really serious, if there's a state you really want to go to, go get the license. First of all, find out how many companies have assignments there. There are some states where are just very, you know, lowly populate, wow, I can't even talk today, have low population, let's just say it that way. And there's not a lot of assignments in those states, whether it's a big state out in the west that doesn't have any population or it's a smaller state, you know, on the east coast. If you're not seeing a ton of jobs there, reevaluate whether or not that assignment, make that getting that license makes sense to you. But don't just go by one company's word on that. That's what I'm trying to tell you. If one company doesn't have it, this might mean they don't have a lot of contracts in that state. Call multiple companies and kind of find out, is this a state that has a lot of travel needs in it? There are some states in different parts of the country that don't have shortages in your specialty like other states do. So before you go jumping out and spending money, find out, is this a good investment on my future? And again, I'm not... I'm just telling you, don't trust one person with, you know, well, we don't have anything or we can get you a job. Maybe that's the only place that they have license, they only that they have, uh, you know, a contract center. Other, other agencies don't have very many things there. So you have to kind of look at where do I want to go and what states have a consistent year-round need. Those are the states in which you want to go out and get licensed for. Some states understand take months to get licensed in. 
So, you know, and I mean, I'll just throw out you know, New York, I'll throw out New Jersey, I'll throw, I think Boston still takes, or Massachusetts, I should say, still takes a long time. Washington, Oregon, typically been a long time. California is a nightmare. So there are a lot of states that take a long time to get licensed in. So find out, again, talk to your peers, go onto you know, social media, find out the last person that was in your specialty through all these different groups you can look at and say, who got a license in this state and can you tell me how long it took and things I need to be aware of when I'm filling out my licensure process. Because if you know you wanna go one of those states that I mentioned, there's a bunch of other ones too, then you want to start working on that licensure early so that you have that in your in your you know in your in your pocket so that you can start to get submitted the minute that, that license becomes active. And then lastly I'll tell you, keep them active. Unless it's a state that you no longer want to go to work in. If you if you've kind of done that, and as I say, been there, done that, you don't want to do anymore, let it lapse. But if it is a state that you want to return to, stay up on it. I think most states, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, it is easier for sure to and less expensive to keep the license sometimes it is to go back and reapply all over again if you if you, you know, want to go back there so only you know how frequently you want to go if you're not going to go for three or four years fine let it let it lapse that makes sense but if it's something you think you want to have the option of going to every year every time there's a new assignment up you you, you name it keep that license active okay enough said all right, let's talk a little bit more about certifications. I said that earlier, and I kind of went off a little bit on it, but what I'm getting at here is I understand that there are certain certifications that each specialty has that are required, right? You have to have those and stay up on those. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone tell me, I don't have CPR. I'm like, what? Don't do that to yourself. Make sure you're marked because if you tell a recruiter that, they're instantly going to go, well, I'm not going to spend my time with this person. You guys have to take the initiative to make sure that you have the ability to go to work. That's one thing I'm going to kind of scold those of you, and there's hopefully not that many, but if you are out there listening to me and you don't have the ability to actually have the bare minimum certification you need to be a traveler, get it and then start looking at being a traveler because you can't do it without, so have that. Where I'm going with this is I also think it's important that you guys start looking at adding to your certifications. Even if it's, you know, we're talking about resuscitation, that sort of thing, more and more hospitals are requiring advanced type certifications, whether it be for pediatrics, whether it just be advanced, you know, you name it. It's not a bad idea to have these. I understand that. I heard a lot of nightmares, uh, you know, when people were locked down, that you couldn't do this sort of thing uh, in person, that it was really difficult. Some of you really incredibly smart and very, very good travelers were having trouble passing you know these courses because they were they were really difficult <laughs> it wasn't just one or two i had dozens of people tell me oh my gosh this is this is the most insane thing so now that you know hopefully this that's easing up a little bit go out and get those certifications because you may find one that requires it you don't know about but also it again puts you higher up that stack if you don't even need it but you have acls doesn't that look better wouldn't that kind of make it like oh this person's got that i'm telling you guys not for every manager, but for some managers they are going to see that and go, oh, this person has taken an extra step to elevate their marketability and it's a, it's a feather in your cap. Just like it is if you go on and you take courses and you get certifications that are, whether they're required or not, if you go above and beyond and you become a super certified traveler, you guys know, again, I, I can't sit there and Every specialty has its own little unique thing, and every, every allied profession has its own thing. Those are what I'm talking about, where you've taken the time to say, I don't need this, but I've only got five years of experience, so I'm going to go get it, because it might take me from not being on the top of the list 
to being one of the people that are getting a phone call. I'm telling you guys, it's little things like this that you have to help yourself because your recruiter, for the most part, especially the bigger the company is, they're going to be slamming you in front of jobs. That's really what they do. They're not going to take the time to hold your hand, to tell you some of these marketing pieces. You know, maybe if you've got a smaller company and someone that's very, maybe a recruiter's brand new, they might help you with, you know, these sorts of, of discussions. But for the most part, what I'm hearing this day and age, it's, I want a traveler who I can get a job for. And the, the better chance you are of getting a job, that means the more chances a recruiter has of making commission, which then means the more they're going to spend time with you. Let, let that also be kind of a telltale sign. If you're somebody that recruiters aren't, no recruiters are paying attention to you, it's because something's going on. You don't have the experience, you got a ding on your license, you got something you know that, that's, that's keeping people from saying, I don't want to spend a lot of time because I want to make money. Because truly I'm a recruiter and that's what's driving me. I want to make money. This is how I provide for my family. This is how I put money in the bank by convincing travelers to take the assignments that all companies have through me and the company that I represent. And that's what their goal is. So recognize that if you're not getting that time, it's because a recruiter is recognizing that likelihood of me getting paid on this traveler is less. So you've got to make yourself more marketable. So certify your you-know-what off and have yourself become a, again, the more certification, I don't care if you've been doing this for 10 years, it still will look better. You still, for those rare times when maybe you're not the top of the pile, this might push you back up to being at the top of the pile. It right, brings us along to resume because I think this is a, a really kind of important aspect. This is one of those areas where you guys do have a lot of control over your own marketability. You can't really dictate how many years of experience you have. You can't really, you know, I mean, you can dictate your licensure to a point. You can certainly do your best to try to get highly certified. But when it comes to your resume, I cannot tell you. And again, I will be doing an episode completely on resume building, but not today. There. It is amazing to me how many really good travelers in healthcare have really bad resumes. You guys have no idea, and I see resumes all day long, whether it's from travelers or internally, and it's amazing how fast your eye goes, nope, 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 nope. When you've got you know, bullet points of, I just did this assignment, ballparky dates, no, no real detailed description, how is a manager gonna be able to evaluate whether or not you're the person that's going to go to the top of the pile. And I have seen some incredibly gifted, super experienced travelers with some of the worst resumes on the planet out there. Take a few minutes of your, of your career and tweak your resume. If you don't have time or you're not good at it, hire somebody. Have somebody help you that can make you have a resume that is like, wow. That's what you want. You want that wow factor where a manager goes, oh, let me let me go deeper into this profile because this person is exactly what I'm looking for. You guys get it? It is a really big part of, of your marketability, and it's one that you have a lot of control over. Just the overall appearance of it is amazing. Again, I'm not going to get into a full episode on resume building, but have it in most recent experience. Have you make sure your contact information, make sure it looks right. All this stuff is is perfect, that people can get a hold of you. Make sure that your, your cell phones change, your emails change. Don't have it be three assignments down the road where your resume is. Get it updated and have it have some details as to the type of patients you had, the facility, the actual specific date so they can see that you've been going from assignment to assignment. Maybe you took some time off, but you are, this person knows what they're doing, right? If you don't have that experience level, do your best to, you know, put legitimate information in that's going to try to see if they can again if you can move up to the top of that pile 
whether it's really getting some details on the different types of patients you've seen, whatever it is you guys have that is a potential bonus for a manager hiring you, put it on the resume. Get rid of the mission statement that you want to go on board full-time or whatever I see half the time that doesn't even make sense. No one wants to see a mission statement. You want to travel, so they don't even need it. Just start with your experience and your contact information before that and move down and start dazzling them with what you can. It's a really important aspect that just amazes me in this industry that you guys have control over and some of you just take so little time to help yourself get that phone call. And this is just me, a friendly reminder, hopefully friendly, saying work on it, get it updated. It's an important aspect. It's one of the most important things. And if you're coming to the end of your assignment or halfway through, start updating your resume now so that your next recruiter or your current recruiter has the ability to submit you and they're not gonna turn on and say, well, what is you know, he or she been doing for the last three months? It's right there and they can see what you've been doing. Pay attention to your resume. Look at it, critique it, have somebody else look at it and be honest about whether or not you would call you based upon that resume. Spend some time. There's, by the way, there's a whole bunch of really good examples. You can jump on the internet and, and you know, do a search and find a whole bunch of, of examples of strong resumes in your field. And you can, you know, you can cheat and look at some of those and say, okay, I'm gonna kind of mirror this because I like the way that one looks. Finally, skills checklist, not finally, but another one is skills checklist. Most companies, like I mentioned earlier, have the ability for you to self-evaluate or for you to take an exam that will allow them to present to a manager, here is my candidate and here is the quality or level of their skill set in their specialty. This is an important aspect of it. If you're self-evaluating and you're using one of those from a company, don't shortchange yourself. Don't think, oh, I don't want to brag. I don't want to seem like I know what I'm doing. You might not get the job. There are certain age categories that some of you are hesitant to say that you are proficient at because you're worried that that's the only job you're gonna get. But I have seen we're not having that because maybe this hospital doesn't have dedicated adults, you're not gonna get the job and somebody else will that may have put down that they have experience in that. Even though you know you don't really want that. You can handle that during the interview. But to say you don't have any experience in it, you know that's the kind of example I'm talking about. Be very careful how you fill out your skills checklist if you have the ability to self-evaluate. And give yourself the kudos that you've earned. One of the wonderful things I love about healthcare travelers is that the nice thing is, unlike the resumes I see for internal people, you guys don't tend to exaggerate on your skills checklist. If you can't do it, you are wonderfully smart that you don't put down that you can because there's lives at stake. I understand that. And it's really unique in your industry that, yeah, your resume can say some things, but really what it comes down to is that manager might be looking at that skill set that you have filled out to decide whether or not he or she is going to hire you. And like I said, the good news is it's honest. My only caveat is make sure it's not so honest that you're actually shortchanging yourself. If you are proficient at something, say you're proficient. For those of you who are doing the ones that with companies where you're actually taking a test and doing an exam that way, be prepared for it. Make sure that you have the ability to you know, be uninterrupted, that you've got the, the things that you need, whether it's a calculator or your, your phone, to be able to take this exam properly so that you score well. I mean, obviously, I know that goes without saying, but it's amazing how sometimes people just don't prepare and then they don't score that well. And I'm like, oh, gosh, a recruiter might get turned off. If you keep having to retake an exam for your proficiency and you're not doing very well, you guys know that recruiter has less and less confidence that you're going to be able to get a job. So you're also sending a message to that agency that I'm not taking this seriously and or maybe, I, maybe I'm not that good at my, at my job. Even though you may be good at it, you're just not spending the time to be prepared for this, uh, for this exam. So 
pay attention to that stuff. Pay attention to your skills checklist. Okay, references. Again, this is another area where I will tell you that I believe travelers have a really wonderful opportunity here to make themselves more marketable. Your references, a lot of times you're just trying to get in front of that job and you haven't prepared with that agency and you're just throwing some names and numbers at somebody and you don't even know what that person is going to say about you. And I, I cannot tell you how oftentimes I have gotten mediocre or less than mediocre responses or my recruiters have from a reference and I'm like, you got to tell that traveler because they keep telling people to call this manager or this guy or gal and they're not being very good to them on a reference level. You want your references to ooze how wonderful and how proficient, how great you are. Everybody knows that most people are not going to put a reference down that's going to give you a bad reference. It happens. But from a marketing standpoint and from a managerial standpoint, when if I'm a manager looking at hiring you, I'm going to assume that your references are strong. But I am going to look at them. I am going to see if there's any, uh, I guess, consistent bad score like tardiness or patient care or getting along well with other travelers or the staff. I'm also going to read the, you know, if, you're, if your agency happens to put down where someone's allowed to talk a little bit about you, I'm going to read those first if, if after I look at my eye goes through what might be kind of a skill or a, a grading scale on your, on your ability as a traveler. I'm first going to also go down and look at you know what it is that people have said about you, and that is those two areas are I think an opportunity for you to move into that top part of that stack. If you haven't been you know getting, everyone's going to have you know great or good or whatever. It's going to be really unusual for a, a recruiter to put a profile together or a submission packet where the uh, where the where the reference is like all bad. I mean they just won't do it. They'll go out and get another one. That's what I'm saying. It's really it would be unusual for your references to look different than anybody else's. But when it comes down to what someone says about you, there it is, that is the opportunity for someone to say, you know, things like, this person may not have had a lot of experience, but man, they killed it as a traveler. Or they came in and this is what they did. I would hire them back in a heartbeat. It's an opportunity for your, the person that's giving you the reference to really help you get a call. <laughs> that's really what this comes down to. So. When you pick out who it is, I understand that it's hard because that person, you may be switching companies every three months because you haven't found the right one. I get it. And, I, and that's one of the downfalls to looking and, and, and you know going for the most bucks and going and trying to find that great company. So that means your reference is getting a little irritated every time, every you know 13 weeks where all of a sudden they're getting a bunch of phone calls or one or two from somebody having to do this all over again. I understand all that. Warn them of it. Tell them, hey, listen, especially if it's somebody that you did a really good job for, and say, I need your help. I need your help getting this position. I need your help separating myself from the rest of the people that want the same position I have. Walk them through what this reference means to you. And give them an appreciation so that when one of the agencies calls you, a recruiter calls them, they're gonna hear a little bit more about you than anybody else has given them. And that's exactly what you want, a good, solid reference to provide. The other thing I'll talk about is, I mean, I, I first of all, I love written references, ones that, that someone has given without being on the form. Just understand that the older they are, the less that they mean. So if you haven't had one of those in the last year or so, get one. Because sometimes those things can be really long and they can really go into some great detail as to what kind of traveler you are and what that manager can expect from having, you know, hiring you for this, you know, this travel contract, this travel assignment. Those are wonderful, I think, if your agency accepts them and you have some as ability. Because what's great about those is that they don't have to keep getting bugged. But, like I said, most 
companies, if it's getting older, they may stop using those as primary references and start moving those into the background as additional references because you know it, they need something within some recent years. Which kind of brings along the point that good companies nowadays definitely get performance evaluations or written, you know, I guess, evaluations about how you did in your current assignment for future travel, travel assignments that you're looking for. Make sure your company does that, especially if, you, if you've done well. If you have a really good reference and a good performance evaluation from your current assignment, choose a time when things are going really, really well, because we all know sometimes that can change pretty quickly. So if you're in a period of time when the manager's loving you, things are going great, and it's going well, right then and there, ask your recruiter or your company to get a performance evaluation in front of that manager so he or she can have a good feeling about you. Know, about you. Because like I said before, that could change in a heartbeat. You guys know this. I mean, hopefully not for most of you, but it does happen. Maybe they've asked you to come in and work some crazy shift and you just can't, so now it's the manager's gonna be upset with you. Who knows? There could be something that changes that. So strike why the iron is hot, as they say. If there's a great period of time, you guys know more than your company does, when's a good time to ask for reference? If they're smart, you have some of these reference forms with you that you could actually present to your manager, have them fill it out, get it, again, being in charge of your own career and get it back to you. And that's the last thing I want to say is don't rely upon your company to do this for you. This is part of becoming an evolved traveler. Every time you take assignments, if you had two years worth and you literally went, let's just say, had did eight assignments, if you had eight references and eight performance evaluations for the last two years and they were all solid, that means a lot. That is a huge feather in your cap. And it does offset a lot of the things that maybe you scored yourself low on when we first started this episode out and you checked it. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is, again, ways for you to start to get creative on getting the job. And that's where I'm gonna go with here now. I've kind of gone through most of the episode, but I really wanna just talk to you guys a little bit about understanding what you guys are up against. And this is an advantage I have over you. And this is an advantage I have over all of your, your counterparts out there that give you advice, is that I have seen from this side of the desk what this looks like and the competition level, and I've seen thousands and thousands of profiles for good, bad, and indifferent you know, travelers throughout my, my career. And I will tell you that what you look like on paper is important, your willingness and ability to be open to different assignments in different locations, all that comes into play to decide whether you're gonna have a lucrative and successful career as a traveler, and success is, is defined by you and nobody else. So whether it's assignments that you love, places you wanna to go to, income that you're looking for, a combination of all of the above, you're the one that knows this. So you're the one that has to take into consideration your likelihood of striking it to your desired level of where I wanna go based upon your own marketability. And if it's not there, elevate your marketability. This is my plea to those of you that don't just kinda do it. Don't just kinda be a traveler. Again, if you're struggling, sometimes you know we want to just oh it's the company's fault, it's my recruiter's fault, I don't have this or I didn't get that, you know this hospital stinks. You know sometimes you got to look yourself in the mirror and say what can I do to further advance my career. I've done a bunch of little snippets and promos that basically is honestly telling you that nobody is going to care about your career like you do. I don't care what a recruiter tells you. I don't care what you see on social media. No one is going to care about whether or not you are happy like you. And let's be honest, no one's really gonna care about it but you, but certainly not to your level. So start to think about that. Stop putting your trust and your 
entire career in the hands of somebody else hoping that, that you're gonna become marketable. Take control over it, give them your marketability and say, now go do something with it and choose the companies that, that do what you've given and deliver for you. That's all there is to it. If you haven't given them the ability to, you can't blame that company, you can't blame that recruiter. So your job is to make yourself as marketable as possible and then figure out which companies take that marketability and run with it and get you the jobs you're looking for. And that's how your, your career should go. And you should constantly be updating the things I just went over, whether it's your licensure, your resume, redoing your skills checklist, working on your references, considering more options of places that you want to go based upon location and pay rate. All of this becomes your travel career and you become a stronger and stronger traveler. This episode is incredibly important for you to really ingest and think about. And I really hope you guys share this with some other people that may be struggling. I understand that you don't really want to because there's competition. So you may not want to share this with everybody, but do for those that really need your help. Understand that this is a important, important aspect of your travel career. And one of the, I just don't want you to brush over it. That's why I did the episode early on because I want to get these main nuts and bolts kind of stuff out of the way so we can start talking about some higher level stuff and tweaking some things. But this is, this is travel 101, so to speak, as far as I'm concerned. This is fundamental stuff that you guys should know about. If you do know about it, which you probably did, you should be rethinking it and revisiting it. And that's why I did this episode for those of you that are already evolving your travel game. Go back and start looking at all the things that I just talked about and seeing where you need to tweak and fine tune because you're in charge of whether or not you get the call more than the recruiter is. So take that onus on yourself and elevate your traveler marketability. Guys, as always, I appreciate you giving me the time to listen to this episode, to watch this episode. Please share our information with your fellow travelers. It means a lot to us. It's why our group keeps evolving and growing, which is why we get more and more excited. And the bigger our group is, the more people that are watching, listening to us, the more we're going to be paying attention to making sure we're delivering content that's important to you guys and is valuable to you. And we will catch you next time on Travel Evolved.